You remember week one in this series that we talked about, Come and See. Week one, we talked about how we want to be a church that oozes hospitality and conversation and community. And if you remember, we defined what come and see really means as we looked at the Gospels. It's a phrase that Jesus used, and it's a phrase that his disciples used. It was a way to say to people, come and meet this person, Jesus, who has changed my life. And as we begin to examine the scripture, what we noticed from the Gospels is that come and see really is a way to say to people, hey, just come and think. Hey, just come and experience. Hey, just come and process with friends. You don't have to believe immediately here, but man, give, give this person Jesus a chance. Hear what he has to say. And so we've said we want to be able to do that every day of the week. And so then last week we talked about what gives birth to a vision like this. And if you remember, I said three things. What gives birth to a vision is need. People need the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel. There's also potential. Our potential as a church. And potential helps birth a vision. And uh, this church has amazing potential in this community to just, just change the world around here. It, it's just an amazing thing. And then, of course, people give birth to a vision. What I want to do today is I want to talk to you about how do we create a positive faith environment and what a positive faith environment means. Now, it might interest you to know that our church's mission statement, the uh, talks about a positive faith environment. It's, in fact, it's one of my favorite things. It says that our mission is to create a positive faith environment where who? Where non-churchgoers are encouraged to become fully developing followers of Jesus at every stage of their life. Now, I want to tell you why I love this mission. I've loved it. I, I didn't create this mission. Our founding pastor, Pastor Steve, and the pastoral team at the time did. Uh, that was before my time. But when I came on staff, when I started attending and I learned this was the mission, I got to tell you, I began to bleed it. And I began to uh, internalize it and live it. And here's why. Everybody is at a stage of spiritual growth. In fact, you have never met somebody that is not somewhere in their spiritual journey. What I mean by that is that God is ultimately working on everybody. Do you know that's true? In fact, the scripture says that God desires all men to be saved and woman. God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's a fact. But what Mark's gospel, that scripture that was just read to you, it's describing an environment and how the gospel works. Notice what it said. It said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man does what? Scatters seed on the ground. Now, what's important to know is that the seed is demonstrative of the word of God. That whenever you read the seed in scripture, it's a reference to God's word going out or the proclamation of the gospel going out. So we said, here's what the kingdom is like. A man scatters the word of God around night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, read it with me, though he does not know how. It's going out, though he doesn't know how. What does the farmer do in order to plant seed? What do you think? If you've planted something before, what are you going to do? You're going to prep the ground. You're going to plant the seed. You're going to water the ground. You might throw some fertilizer on it. You might do all these things to help create a positive environment for growth. But have you ever forced that seed to grow? How many of you are responsible for making that seed grow? None of you. 
you know your job is just to cultivate an environment where there's growth potential, right? And so if you plant that seed in the wrong place, if you treat it bad, if it gets planted on hard ground, there's a chance it's not gonna take root. But if you nurture it just the right way, it grows. Now, what this scripture is saying is that we're supposed to be like farmers that just scatter seed. We don't know how growth happens. Who causes the growth, by the way? God causes the growth. But we don't know how it happens. We just go to bed and look at what it says. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head, and as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. Now, all living things, if they're in the right environment, will grow. I could take a little acorn, and if I plant it in the right environment, it becomes a mighty oak. That's just true of all living things, and that's true of human people, too. So that's why I love our church's mission statement, because it reminds me of this text that my job is just to cultivate the environment and scatter the seed. It's not to cause the growth. Does that make sense? In fact, I saw this little video and I just wanted to share it with you because it reminded me of our job. You know, we're like farmers. Here we are. And we're going out and we're, we're doing the work. image in your mind as to how we reach people. And one of the scriptures that we just read is 1 Peter, and you heard it, and Peter wrote to a particular group of people who were trying to be the church in a particular place. And this passage, almost better than any other passage, shows us four things that are critical to the influence of the church and the nature of the influence of the church on any given community. In other words, Peter is really showing us how do we create a positive faith environment that people will be reached? How does that actually work? So today I'm going to break that down into four parts that you're going to see on your notes. I want to talk to you about the church's promise, what God promises that he will do. I'm going to talk about the church's purpose our method, and then the power we get to do it. I'm going to hit those four things real quickly. Are you ready? Everybody ready? All right. All right, here we go. Here we go. When God brought the children of Israel together, when the Lord did that, you remember, he brought the tribes together at the foot of Mount Sinai and he assembled them. And they had just gone through the exodus. And he said, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my what? Treasured possession. God says, although the whole earth is mine, you, people, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, 
Does that sound familiar to you? You know why? Because the scripture that we just read out of Peter is quoting the Mount Sinai assembly in Exodus. Peter is picking up this language and he applies it now to believers in Christ. Now you say, well, pastor, why is that so important? It's important because you have to ask yourself what's so unusual about the Mount Sinai assembly. If Peter is saying this is who you are now, what is it about them? Well, first of all, he makes a statement that you guys have got to see. This is amazing. He says, God says, I brought you on eagle's wings out of Egypt. In other words, you didn't fight your way out of Egypt. Shoot, you didn't even walk out of Egypt. God says, I carried you out of Egypt. In other words, people, you were saved strictly by grace. You were saved strictly by my power and my grace. You don't contribute a thing to it at all. And I want for you to notice the order. I want for you to notice what God doesn't say. God doesn't say, okay, people, I give you my law. Now obey my law, and then I'll deliver you. That's not how God does it, is it? No. What happens is, he delivered them, he saved them, and then he asked them to obey. Now, guys, that is the complete opposite of how all other religions work. Christianity is not like any other religion. Every other religion of the world will tell you, do this, do that, and you will get this. Christianity doesn't. Christianity says, God saves you completely by grace. You don't deserve it. You and me are supreme scumbags. We are idiots. We are without a hope. I know that's strong language, but strong language should be used. We really are. We are not enough, no matter how many cute posters say you're enough. You are not enough. We are without hope. But God says, in my grace, I've saved you anyway. Now that I've saved you, obey me. Live for me. That's the gospel. Notice this scripture, Ephesians chapter two. He says, it is by grace you have been saved. And he says, it is a gift of God. Now, what's the bottom line here? The bottom line is, is that the God who brought a people Together at Mount Sinai was a God of grace, and he said, if you keep my covenant, I will dwell with you in a unique way. He says, if you keep my covenant now that I've delivered you, deliverance comes first, he says, I will dwell in you as a people in a very special way. Now you say, Pastor, why is that a big deal? Here's why. Peter is now picking this up, and he's saying to the church, in the same way, God will dwell with his church together in a very unique way in a very special way, if they covenant together. And Moses, see, this is what's incredible about the, about the Exodus uh, and, the, and the assembly before Moses, is that Moses got a glimpse of the glory of God, and it freaked him out. It says there was trembling, there was smoke, there was fire, but he got a glimpse of the glory of God, and from that moment forward, you remember he saw it in the burning bush. But from the moment he got a glimpse of the glory of God, he wanted it. He hungered for it. Do you remember the one time he blurts out on the mountain, God, show me your glory, he says. Why? Why was Moses so hungry for the glory of God, as intimidating as it could be? Here's why. The glory of God is the thing that all human beings are really looking for. 
I want you to think about everything that we humans do to satisfy ourselves. Think about the intimacy of sex, for example, and the intimacy that we long for, sex and romance. Think about the value that people look for in their money and in their assets, in their homes, in their cars. Think about the significance that people look for in their work and being an expert and people thinking that they've accomplished something. Now, don't you see, God says, all the things that you're looking for, it's actually right here in my glory. All the rest is just a cheap substitute. It is in the glory of God, that thing that every human being looks for. So, do you see the audacity of Peter? Because he takes the promises of God made to the assembly at Sinai, and he applies them to us, and he says, listen, Believers, if you've had an experience of my grace, if you've been brought out on eagle's wings, and he says, if you keep my covenant, what he says is my glory will dwell with you as a community in a powerful way. In fact, write that down. That's what he says. Now, can you see why I want to introduce people outside the church to the community of the church. Because God says, my glory will dwell with you in a very special way. That, that he literally says, it's a promise that, that as we make space for outsiders to come in, they will experience something of the glory of God that can only happen in the church. That's a powerful thing. So that's why when we talk about merging the sacred and the secular together, we're doing it because we want people to experience the promise of God, the promise of his glory. Come and see. Just come and see. And you'll see the difference Jesus can make. You know, I was telling you the story in week one about um, a church that also had built a coffee shop and um, somebody from work that attends North Point had said, let's, let's go to coffee. And they said, where, where, where do you want to go? Oh, well, we'll go over here. And she, she heard it was a church. She said, oh, I don't want to go to a church. She's Buddhist. And she didn't want to go to church. And uh, she said, no, 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 it's not a church. It's a coffee. It's a real bona fide coffee shop, professionally run and everything. She said, oh, okay, well, then I'll go. And so they went there for lunch, and they were coworkers. They're in the banking industry. And so they went there, and she had such an incredible experience, and she just enjoyed herself so much that she started going weekly, just on her own. And she was having such a good experience, she finally said to the manager, what is it about this place? There is something about this place. And so the manager, you remember I told you the story that the manager said, well, it's just because Jesus is in every cup of coffee. And that made her laugh so hard. I mean, she just couldn't get over that. <laughs> Jesus is in every cup of coffee. So now she's telling her coworkers, you've got to come with me to this place because Jesus is in every cup of coffee. Now, guys, here's what I'm saying to you right now. I'm saying that the scripture literally says that when the community of his people come together, he dwells with those people in such a unique way that it's almost like Jesus is in every cup of coffee. And some of you, I say that, and you think, well, of course, it's psychological. If you get a big group of people together, they're gonna be encouraged, they're gonna be inspired, they're gonna grow. No, 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 it's not psychological, it's theological. God says he would do that. That's what Peter's saying. I will dwell with them, my covenant community. 
That's why there are scriptures that tell us the power of being together. For example, Hebrews talks about this. But exhort one another daily, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Or a little later in the same chapter, the Hebrew writer says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls, and they're going to give an account for their work. Why? Because there is something special about the church. But if people come into a healthy church in a healthy environment, they should experience something, something of God's glory that will satisfy their need. That's what we're aiming for. Now, that's the promise God gives us. That's why we can create a positive faith environment for people. But let's talk about the church's purpose. Everybody ready? Everybody say purpose. Purpose. All right, here we go. Because here's what happens. God says in Peter, he says, you remember, he says, look, I'm doing this for you, and I, and I did this for you, and I'm doing that for you, and I've made you this. What's this all about? He says, ultimately, the whole reason I'm doing this, go to the next scripture, he says, let's read it together, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, you realize everything God is doing for us. Everything that God has done for you, everything he's calling us to be as a people is so that we can do this. Is that right? So that we can declare his glory. So that we can say, he's the one that called me out of darkness. Come and see what he could do for you. That's why, again, I'll go back to our church's mission statement. I love that it says that we want to be a place where non-churchgoers are encouraged to become fully developing followers of Jesus because we're to declare his praises. We're declaring something. Come and see it because we've been called out of darkness into light. Now, this very phrase, by the way, darkness into his wonderful light, it's actually a technical nomenclature in the Greek. It's describing conversion. By the way, do you know how you can tell a Christian or not? Do you know how you can tell somebody that's not just a nice person, not just a moral person, not just a religious person? Because there are lots of people who come to church that say they believe the Bible and and they try to be good. But how you can tell who the Christian is is not because they're nice or moral. No. It's that they've been converted by the Spirit of God on the inside. It's not that they've changed on the outside but they have been converted by the Spirit of God on the inside, and they've come to understand something about going from darkness to light. And here's what happens if you're really a Christian. You develop a sense of wonder over it. I mean, like, wonder, like, wow, God, how could you save me? Now you say, how can you tell a religious person? Because if I ask a religious person, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You know what a religious person's gonna tell me? Maybe you'd tell me this. They're going to say, well, pastor, I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect, but I try to be good. I go to church. I read my Bible. I really try very, very hard. Now, here's the problem with that. Here's why that's religious. There is a problem with that. The reason why that's religious is because you notice everything I just said is not light or darkness. It's completely gray. It's gray. It's all kinds of gray. There's no wonder. See, What he's talking about is the people whose lives are changed are people that know how dark they are. They've come out of darkness and they've been brought into the light. It's not that, well, it's none of this, well, I'm trying hard, but, you know, I'm not that good, but I shouldn't know. That's gray. No, let me tell you what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who knows I am a terrible sinner. I am an idiot and so are you. 
That's what the Christian knows. I am a terrible sinner, but God has called me out of darkness and he's called me to walk into light. In other words, people who are religious, there's no wonder, there's no amazement, there's no miracle. There's no wow. What did Paul say? Paul said, I know what a sinner I am. He said, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death, darkness? Jeremiah the prophet understood this, even in the Old Testament. He said, my own heart is deceitful above all things. It's beyond cure. Who could understand it? He knew he was a screw up. Or you look at the prophet uh, Isaiah. He says, even our best stuff is like filthy garments. It's like filthy rags. But you grasp his forgiveness and you grasp the grace. Do you have wonder in your life? Do you you want to declare to anybody that God has saved you from yourself? Oh, I hope there is. I hope you do. Have you noticed as you get older how you start to lose your sense of wonder? Have you guys ever noticed that? Kids are full of wonder. I take my son, my little boy, to the zoo, and I go, look, buddy, there's a bear. And he's like, a bear. (laughs) I take my 20-something to the zoo, and I go, hey, look, a bear. And he goes, yeah, we're at a zoo. It's a bear. (laughs) You know? Have you noticed that? The older we get, the more we tend to lose our sense of wonder. Here's what I'm saying to you. If you're really a Christian, if you've been renovated from the inside out, there should be a sense of wonder no matter how old you are. There should be a sense of, God, thank you. I want to devote my life to you because of what you've done for me. Knowing Jesus, that he's rescued me. It's it's the best thing in the world. That's our purpose. That's what God calls us to do. So write this down. Our job is to declare his glory among the nations. That's what we're meant to do, to declare the beauties, to declare the praises of God. Listen, do you know what the problem is with evangelism today? People are so afraid to share what they believe, and here's why. Because somehow the church has come to believe that they need to have a memorized systematic theology, that I need to know exactly what to say and how to say it. Oh, no, you don't. All you need to say is, Jesus Christ has changed my life. Come and see. You don't have to have all the answers. It's better if you don't. Do you know how tired the world is of Christians who have all the answers? Gosh, please refresh somebody by saying, I don't know, that's a good question. I mean, people would love to hear that. But instead, we've got this weird idea that we need to have all the answers and we need to make sure people know it. Let me tell you something. Jesus and his evangelism, what did he do? He told stories and he asked questions. That's all he did. He told stories and he asked questions. What do we do? We preach at people and we answer questions they're not asking. (laughs) Told stories, asked questions, come and see. He's changed my life. How did he do that? I don't know. (laughs) But it's unbelievable. Come and see. But here's what you've got to internalize and here's what you've got to understand, friend. Listen to me, everybody. If you are somebody who has been changed on the inside, God says, write this down, it is your job to tell other people you are a Christian. You say, it's my job? Yeah. It's your duty. Now, it's not just duty, it's also beauty. 
It's beauty and duty. (laughs) It's a duty. God's called me to do it, but I want to do it because he's changed my life. Not I'm saying you got to do it. Everybody in here has got to go do it in the next five minutes. You got to go tell everybody what Jesus has done for you. But I am saying God has called you to be like a, let's go back to Mark 4, you were to be like a man or woman who scatters what? Seed. Get that image. God's called every one of you to be a farmer. You're looking for your purpose of life. You're a farmer. And your job is to scatter seed. Now, some of you, I say that, and there are Christians, I'm sure, that are listening to this. Even online, maybe you're listening to this. You think, well, proselytizing is wrong. I shouldn't tell people that they need to abandon their beliefs about God and adopt mine. And some some Christians actually think that. It's not our job to convert people. You shouldn't do it, they say. Now, but I'm going to say, if that's you and you have those thoughts, I want to say, first of all, you're making some big belief assumptions for yourself about God. If you tell me I shouldn't do that, you're saying if there's a God, he wouldn't want me to do that. And he's not that kind of a God. And fine, if you want to believe that, it is a free country. You can go ahead and believe that. But you need to understand that the moment you tell me to stop evangelizing, the moment you tell me to stop proselytizing, don't you understand that you're proselytizing? The moment you tell me that I can't evangelize, what are you doing? You're evangelizing me. You're telling me that your spiritual take on reality is better than my spiritual take on reality, and you're trying to convince me of it. Don't you see you're doing the same thing? Listen to me, friends. The fact is, everybody in the world is evangelizing. The only difference is that Christians should be honest about it. We should be the ones who say, God's changed my life and it says in his word, tell people what he's done. I'm just honest about it. So you can't tell me not to do it, otherwise you're doing it. It's the same thing, and round and round it goes. And God says, no, 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 here's what's gonna happen. He says, my Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you, and the result of that is, let's read it together, he says, you will be my witnesses. What does that mean? It means you're going to bear witness to what he's done for you. You're declaring the beauty of God, the wonder of God, the excellencies of God, who called you out of what? darkness. It's not gray. It's not you trying hard. No, he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You need to be a witness to the wonder. So the first thing that creates a positive faith environment is God's promise to the church that I will dwell with you in a unique way, a special way. I will dwell there. We want to invite people to experience the promise of the glory of God. It's what they're looking for. Number two, the church's purpose is to declare it, is to say, let's go do it. That's why we want to build these buildings, because form follows function. We want to keep inviting people. That's just one dream of many, just to keep bringing people in. Now, let's talk about how we do it. Let's talk about the method for just a second. Everybody say method. All right, here we go. How do you do it? The answer, according to Peter, is is in this term, a royal priesthood. Or he says, you're a holy nation. A royal priesthood. Now again, Peter's drawing from the Old Testament. I already told you that. Remember, Sinai. Now, in the Old Testament, there were three kinds of people who God appointed to do his work. There were prophets. There were, what else? Anybody know? There were priests. And there were kings. 
prophets, priests, and kings. Prophets told people the word of God. Priests offered sacrifices and worship and served the people. And the kings ordered the lives of the people. And they were all used by God. Now, when Peter quotes the Old Testament and says, you, the church, are a royal priesthood, what he's saying is, in a sense, is that you are to function in those ways. You're to function as priest by serving people, by telling them about the sacrifice that Jesus made. You are to function as a prophet as you declare the words of God. What are you doing? You're scattering what? Seed. And his words bring order to people's lives. And in that way, it's a royal priesthood because it, it gives order to people's lives. And as you scatter the seed, it, God brings it to bear in their heart. And you can see the transformation. Let's go back to Mark 4 now. Look at this text. He says there's a change. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. Now notice this, guys. This person is not born again yet, but they are growing spiritually. They're not saved yet. They've not been harvested yet, but they are growing. Some of you, do you know that a seed starts to grow right when you plant it? And some of you, you look at the ground, it's like, when is that thing gonna grow? Some of you guys look at people in your life, when are they gonna grow? When am I gonna see a sign of life? I planted this thing so long ago. I keep watering it. Well, what's your job, farmer? Maybe some weeds are choking the life out of that person and you need to help them tend to some weeds. What's your job, farmer? Maybe you need to water that a little bit. You told them once, good for you. Here's your brownie button. Tell them again. Maybe you need to invite them to church. Maybe this person has a lot of hard pen in their life because they're so wounded. And maybe you need to be breaking that up. Maybe you're too quick to preach and not quick enough to love. But the point is, everybody is at a different place. And so we're reaching people and we're inviting, hey, come and see. Let me put you in this environment where growth is possible and you'll see Jesus changing the lives of. That's why I love that the baptism pool is at the center of all of this. Because that's life change. It's being born again because he says the harvest has now come. Now notice, farmers, how does it grow? You don't know. God causes the growth. Who causes the growth? God causes the growth. You don't know. You just do your job. And the church has always been characterized this way. Notice, even under persecution, in Acts chapter 8, he says, now those who had been forced to scatter, they were being persecuted, they went around proclaiming the good news of the word of God. Every Christian is a prophet. Every Christian is a priest sacrificially laying down their life for others. That's why it says you exhort one another. One more thing on method that I want to say, and this is powerful to me. I, I've just been waiting to share this with you. I alluded to this last week. He says you're not just a royal priesthood, but he says you're also a holy nation. Well, let's talk about that for just a minute. Holy nation. What's that mean? Well, holy means separate. It means you're different, Right? It means that there's something distinct about you. But the word nation, the word nation means exactly what you think it means. It means that you become a society, but it's a unique society. Now, do you know the word nation in the Greek? It's actually this word right here. It's the word ethnos. This is fascinating. 
And it means exactly what you think it means. It means your ethnicity. What is God saying? God is saying that when you come into Christianity, Christians together become a whole new ethnicity. I know, and some of you are like, well, wait a minute, I thought we all had our own unique ethnicities and then we all just come in and, do, and, and are together. Well, that is true in a sense, but it is also true that we all become a part of the church and it's a whole new group that you're inviting people into. Do you know why the church is so damaged in America today and it's thriving in other parts of the world? It's because Christians today, they've become more like the world than a new people. There's no hunger for holiness. There's no desire for repentance. There's, I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna get my fix, I'm gonna consume, and if that church makes me mad, I'm gonna go consume at another church. But it's not a distinct people that is just sharing the difference Jesus has made in their life. And God says, I have so I will dwell with you in such a powerful way. You have not seen it. If you would just covenant together and be the people that I've called you to be, to declare the excellencies of God and to watch it change lives. Now, let me close with this. Where do you get the power to do it? Where do you get the power? Because I know some of you are saying, that all sounds good and I get it. I get the promise of the church and God's glory dwelling. I get the purpose of the church to declare the glory. I get the method of the church, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're to be a people and all of that. But you say, Pastor, where does the power come from? I'm gonna show you where. Peter says it. He answers it. You ready? This line right here. Let's read it together. He says, but you are a... Isn't that good? Let's say it again. You are a... In other words, the power that he says you get, it comes from knowing you have a new identity. Now write that down. You have a new identity. And he says, this new identity, it's incredible. He says, you're a people now belonging to God. And I know some of you, you'd say, now wait a minute, Shane, you want us to be open and open and that sounds so exclusive. Choy a chosen people and all that. And I just want to say to you, I'm not, God is not saying you're a choice people. <laughs> if I were to say you're a choice people, that would imply there's something good about you and there is nothing good about you. You're not choice, but you are chosen. There's a difference. And God says he wants to choose everybody. But it takes a surrender. It takes an ability to say, God, by grace... And what does he say? He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on whose wings? Eagle's wings. God says, I delivered you. I brought you to myself. He says, now you will be my what? My treasured possession. He says, though I have the whole world, though the whole world is mine, you are my treasured possession. Jesus says, I didn't die for the mountains. I didn't die for the rivers. I didn't die for other creation. I died for you to make you right with me. It comes from a new identity. Where's the power come from? It comes from a new identity of knowing that God says, you are my treasured possession and you have wonder over it. There's wonder. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but 
now you've received mercy. By the way, that scripture, Peter says that. Do you know who he's quoting? Anybody know? Any Bible scholars in here? Peter keeps quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Sinai. He's quoting Exodus. Right there, he's quoting Hosea, the prophet Hosea. What was it about the prophet Hosea? Can you remember with me for just a minute? Hosea was a prophet, and God commanded the prophet to marry Gomer, a girl named Gomer. Hey, ladies, how would you like to have that name, Gomer? He comes to the prophet, and he says, marry that woman. And then God says to to Hosea, he says, she's going to be unfaithful to you, but I want you to marry her anyway. And you know what happens to Hosea? What does he do? He says, okay, Lord. So he does it in obedience. And sure enough, she's unfaithful to him, not once, not twice, many times. And she has a series of children, and none of them are his children. The Lord says, you're to remain married to her. One of the children, by the the way, they named Lo-Amni. Lo-Amni, it actually means not my people. Not my people. What does God do? See, Lo Omni is Lo Omni because what God is saying is, just like you, Hosea, my people have turned away from me. God was having Hosea tell the world that God is like Hosea. He loves us the way that a husband loves a wife, but we have turned from him. We have fled him. We try to lead our own lives. He says, I'm as heartbroken as a husband would be broken by an unfaithful wife. But then he says, and this is what Peter's saying. He's quoting Hosea. Here's what he's saying. Look at the scripture. He says, but now I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, let's read it together. You are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Now that's from darkness to light. That's what Peter's quoting here. All it takes is a person who will say, Jesus, I'm going to entrust my life over to you. I'm not going to live my own way anymore. I'm done. I repent. I give up. I put you in the driver's seat. Listen, God is not your co-pilot. God is the pilot. He steers. You just say, Lord, where do you want to go? Where are you taking me? And when you put your trust in him like that, he transforms you from the inside out. It is unbelievable what he'll do. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you for each person here. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give life to your words and that you would make them come to life in someone's heart that you would reach them right where they are and reveal that you are the living Christ. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. There is none like you. I pray that for anyone here that doesn't know you. And would you just repeat this prayer after me? Just pray with me. Jesus, I invite you in. Take over my life. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for my purpose and who you've called me to be. Help me, God, to be who you've called me to be. In Jesus' precious name.